0: Let's go to God. Let's go pray. God, we come asking you this morning to just break through. We know you're already in this place. These walls can't hold you out. But God, the walls of our hearts and the walls of our stubbornness and the walls of our fear You don't desire to push through those. You desire for us to choose to break those down. But God, meet us exactly where we are in our fear, in our stubbornness, in our callousness and our hard-heartedness, and move today. God, we also pray for our brothers and sisters here in town at the First Christian Church. Pray for them, your will be done in that church. God, long we long for the day when you return, but until then, God, may we follow your will. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So I have a pretty good friend in Stillwater. Him, him and his wife uh, own several uh, rental homes. And they live in Stillwater, which is unique because it's a college town. So their rental experience is unique because they're primarily renting out to 18 to 22-year-olds that have, of course, two commonalities. One is they've never lived on their own. And the second is most of them have no idea what it takes to run a house or keep a house in good running order. And so I was talking to my friend the other day, and I wanted to ask him a question. I, said, I sent him a text and then we talked on the phone and my question was this. I said, I want you to share with me what are some of the craziest stories, the funniest stories that come up year after year that just keep being repeated with the renters you have in Stillwater. He has about 20 different homes so he is very well versed in how this works. In fact, I would call him an expert in how to rent to college kids. He's so good at it that he has come up with an interview process that the college kids have no idea they're being interviewed. They'll come and ask to see the house, and every question he asks them, what's your birth order? Are you here? How long have you been on your own? What's your major? All is part of the interview process. He even walks by their car to see how messy their car is, and that all goes into an excel sheet every answer they give him he goes back home and he's a big nerd and he puts it all into an excel sheet and it spits out the probability that this kid will be a good renter or not really cool nerdy stuff so i ask him what's what's some of the stuff that just continues to happen what's some of the fun stuff that continues to happen and he gave me two stories One is he said, Jake, you would not believe how many 18 to 22-year-olds don't know what a thermostat is. He said, I have to send out an email every year to new renters, and it's pages long, and it's simply describing the little switch on older homes that moves the house from cool to heat. (laughs) He said, they don't know. I'll go by the house, so they'll call me, and it's the dead of winter. It's 25 degrees outside. It's 52 degrees in the house, and they're going, why doesn't the heater work? They just keep turning the air conditioner up and up and up. That's a great one. The second one I thought was even funnier, and it's hard to believe, but he told me, he said, this is true. He said, we're in central Oklahoma, of course, so storms roll through just like they do in the Texas Panhandle. He said, you would not believe the number of young ladies who automatically default to a scared, crazed, psychopathic place because they think something sinister is afoot. He says, without a doubt, I'm going to get a call. When a storm rolls through Stillwater and the power goes out somewhere in the college area of Stillwater, I'm immediately going to get a call. And it's not going to be, hey, Troy, our power's out. Can you come help us? The call is automatically going to be, hey, Troy, there's somebody trying to murder us. (laughs) He said he can't believe it. He said, I have a process for that, too. I always tell the girls, you're not being murdered. We just had a storm. The power's out. Go walk to the front door, look through the window, or open it if you're brave enough, and see if the rest of the neighborhood's out. They'll do that. And then he says without fail, what the girls will say is, well, they're not just trying to kill us, they're killing the whole neighborhood. (laughs) That's what they believe. Now, there is a marked difference. The reason I wanted to talk to Troy and Ed and others that have rental property a lot is because we all know this one thing. There's a marked difference between renters and owners. A marked difference. A huge difference. Right? Rent a car and all of a sudden you're driving on the Audubon, right? (laughs) Right? Rent a U-Haul truck, and all of a sudden, you're on a joyride. Hey, Earl, you think this could fit under the McD's drive through overhang? You know, that's what we do. That's what I do with U-Hauls anyway. I'm like, how fast will this truck go? We do that. Rent a gym membership, and we know how that goes. Rent a house, plumbing, ceiling crack, not your problem. Drive up and down neighborhoods and streets in almost any town, and you can very quickly call out, that's a rent house, or that's an owned house. And the same is true in followers of Jesus. There's a marked, very evident difference between the one who has said, I'm all in and Jesus owns my life, versus the one who rents Jesus and watches him from afar. We said a couple weeks ago, three weeks ago now, that we as a church, all of us, and not just this church family, but I think everybody in the world we're living in needs a refresh, a restart, a rally of sorts, a time of going, I need to start again. And we began talking about moving from beliefs into behaviors. And today we're going to continue this thought with unpacking what it means from shifting our lives from people who rent Jesus into people who put their lives under the ownership of Jesus and own our faith. Now let me be clear as we start. I want to be very clear so not to step on toes or for people not to hear me incorrectly. want to be absolutely clear that God loves you if you're a renter. He does. He absolutely loves you. He's full on in love with you, but renting is not the full intent that he has for your life. God is in the business of newness, of rebirth, of water and spirit, making us brand spanking new, moving us from liking jesus and renting jesus and the kind of following jesus when it's easy or from afar into becoming people who are transformed by jesus making him king lord and savior so today we refresh with number two shifting or moving from renters into owners and we start in john chapter three that was our video this morning If you guys have a Bible, grab that, open that up. Let's go to John 3. Go to the app, follow along if you'd like to there. We still open up this story in John 3, and it's about Nick. And cheesy dad joke, it's Nick who comes at night. Nick at night, ha ha, that's stupid. All right, Allison said, don't tell that joke. And I said, well, it was dumb enough to tell. But here's what we know about Nicodemus. We know three things about him. We know he's important, we know he's a bigwig. Nicodemus is a teacher among teachers. He's a member of the Sanhedrin, that's how we know he's a teacher among teachers. If you've seen The Chosen, they call him teacher of teachers. That is a title given to the 70 men who served on the Sanhedrin. These Sanhedrin members were the powerful and elite, the smartest of the smart, the best of the best. They had a long lineage of being in this place of being responsible for the civil and religious life of the Jews. This history had gone back all the way to Exodus 18. This lineage of men being judges and elders and wisdom sayers over Israel, teachers, had been going on for almost 2,000 years by the time we get to Jesus. And Nicodemus is part of that. We also know that Nicodemus, not only is he a teacher of teachers and a member of the Sanhedrin, we know that he's a Pharisee. Now, when we hear Pharisee, what do we automatically think? We think, boo, hiss. But in first first century Judaism, there is no sense of that. Pharisees were esteemed, thought of. The word for Pharisee is perush in Hebrew. And it's the word that means to be set apart, to be elite, to be the best at what you do. And the Pharisees were part of a group of people who believed in strict adherence to the 613 laws of the Old Testament. So these guys were esteemed and adored by the people for their knowledge and their wisdom and their ability to teach and to know Scripture. They were the ones that understood Talmud and Talmudin and discipleship and memorizing and knowing Scripture. And Nicodemus is all three of those things. He's a teacher of teachers, a Pharisee, and a big shot, a member of the Sanhedrin. And in chapter 3, Nicodemus, or Nick as we're going to call him today, shows up, and here's what happens in the first two verses in his interaction with Jesus. Now, there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. So, we get that description that I just tell you teacher of teacher, member of the Sanhedrin, Pharisee. But we also discover in these first two verses that Nicodemus, aside from the titles, has something about his heart that is attractive. He is curious, he is seeking, he's looking, he's heard, and maybe we don't know, maybe he has even witnessed the miracles of Jesus maybe a healing in Cana, maybe in Capernaum he saw something change, maybe he was at the wedding or was near the wedding that happened in Cana where the water was turned to wine, we don't know, but he's heard about the oppressed being set free and he comes as a teacher, not to try to tell Jesus something, but to learn from Jesus. Now, have you ever noticed, just as a side note, but important for what we're talking about today, that on any faith journey, either at its genesis and beginning or at growing points along the line, faith never grows nor begins with answers. Right? It begins and grows with questions. Again, God loves renters. But Nicodemus, although he sees something in Jesus, Nick is not ready to own. He's here. To rent. How do I know that? How do we know he's there to rent? Well, there's a little detail that John loves to use in his, in his gospel, and it's the fact that Nicodemus came at night. That's a theme in the gospel of John, a huge theme about coming out into the light or hiding in the dark. That's how we know Nicodemus, although he's curious, he's not there to follow. He's there to kind of just rent. Light and dark show up all over John. The letter starts with these five verses. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. In, or Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. And then John says, in him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it then throughout the rest of the gospel this theme is employed by john light and darkness jesus proclaims in john 8:12 that he is the light of the world the disciples when they go out on the sea of galilee john tells us although we don't necessarily need to know it other than for the theme that they went out when it was night Judas, when he goes out to betray Jesus at the Passover meal, there's a detail in the text in John. He went out while it was dark. And Mary Magdala, when she is going to the tomb, still not knowing that Jesus is resurrected, we're told she went in the dark. Most pointedly, maybe this theme shows up here in John chapter 3, 19-20. John narrating and telling kind of you more about Jesus after the conversation with Nicodemus says this. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. So Nicodemus comes to check out Jesus at night. Why? Well, that leads us to our first shift, or our first thing we need to know about this shift, and that is when you're checking out Jesus at night, it's because renters play it safe while owners are free to risk. Nick, why we centered and talked about those three things that we know about him, being a martyr of the Sanhedrin and being a Pharisee, Nick has something to lose. That's why he comes at night. He has status and power and friends and a life built around that status that says, this is the way the world works and the world works for me. And nothing since that time has changed. We don't like to be uncomfortable because we are what? Comfortable. Duh. That's a dumb statement, but it's true, right? Nick is Comfortable. And nothing's changed. In the world, we all have and we'll probably always have that itch. The itch to be a people pleaser, the itch to get along, to fit in, to get by, to be part of the way of the world as it is, not as how it can be, because how it can be is uncomfortable. And hear me here, but this is true for all of us. It's the longing of our hearts to fit in. It's an itch we can't seem to always scratch. I believe that's why social media is what it is, right? Because it promises, but yet never delivers, but it keeps on promises us that if you just feed it, it will feed our desire to be liked and accepted. How do I know this? Because, man, I want it too. I want to be liked. But please hear this, and I don't mean this to beat on anybody. This is for me this is why renters play it safe if we need to be liked and accepted by the way of the world then all we simply are is on the fast track to losing our boldness for jesus right because what we're becoming is people that just blend in we're not standing in the light we're standing in the shadows And what we have to learn, until we learn that Jesus already accepts us and loves us and calls us and is the hound of heaven who will never stop pursuing us, that he is perfectly and beautifully in pursuit of us, when we discover that, then we discover Jesus wants to own this. And I want Jesus to be the center of my life, and I can own my faith. And in that place, I don't have to play it safe. I don't have to hide my love for Jesus at night. I don't have to rent him out I can love him and serve him and speak words of life to others with all my heart and soul. Again, I'm going to keep saying this so that I'm not misheard. If you're renting Jesus this morning, Jesus loves you greatly. But he loves you so much that he doesn't want you to stay there because he has plans for you in his kingdom and he has gifts for you to exercise and use. But you can't do it renting so let's get back to the text renters play it safe that's why he shows up at night owners though are free to risk let's pick it up in verse 3 again Jesus replied to him which is such this is so Jesus right Nicodemus basically comes to him and says look I got to know where you're getting this from you're doing some amazing things and God has to be with you so his question is Is God with you? How are you doing these things? And of course, Jesus doesn't answer the question directly. He never does. So Jesus replies. Here's what he says. Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old, Nicodemus asked? Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Right? (laughs) Right over his head. Jesus answered him then. Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at this saying, or my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be, Nicodemus asked. There's much more to that, but we're going to stop there. Because what Nick is doing, he's checking out Jesus so much that he wants to kind of challenge him. Jesus is going to challenge Nicodemus. And his words and his answer to, are you from God, are cryptic. They fly right over Nick's head. They fly over my head a lot. Because Jesus says, you've got to understand this. And Jake's summary of this is what Jesus is saying is you want to be in the light, you want to be in the kingdom, you've got to rethink everything. You have to be born again. Now this word I want to dig into, Jesus' words, I want to dig into just one of those, and that's the word again. Because it's important. Because Jesus' original words are, you got to be born again, and then he repeats it again. But Nicodemus doesn't quite get it. Just like we quite don't get it. In your text, again, Is just there, or maybe your text says "be born from above," and you might have a footnote in your translation that says this can also mean "again," or you might have a footnote if your Bible says again that it says this can also mean "from above." Right? Anybody with me on that? Anybody checking their footnotes? Okay. The word here in Greek is the word "anothen," and it doesn't mean "again." or from above, or from above, or again, it's actually a word that means both. It's a a word that Jesus is using on purpose to say, you must be born a second time from above, that your rebirth has a source. It's both a rebirth, but it is not by something you do, it's something that the Spirit does in you. Now that's kind of confusing, right? Anybody confused? I just confused myself by saying that. I'm like going, where am I going with this now, Jake? Your notes better be really good, <laughs> All right? That's confusing, but it's profound and so good. Jesus is telling Nicodemus this. You've got to have your mind completely blown. You can't rent me from afar. You can't be out in the shadows. To be reborn, to know who actually sent me, you're going to have to rethink everything below the surface, in on the surface, around the surface, above it, everywhere. You've got to redo everything. Jesus is saying it's a new day. To be born again is to be someone who is not just seeking Jesus on his own terms or following Jesus as a rental agreement, but is all in and centering Jesus in everything. Or in other words, we're going to couch it this way. The shift we need to make is from being renters who are bound by a lease into owners who are reborn into a brand new reality. Hang with my metaphor for just a second. A lease is a set of rules, right? You sign a lease, you're gonna pay your monthly rent, you're going to do the things that the lease says to do, what you can and cannot do, what's allowed and what's not, what works and what doesn't. And often that is what we have made out of following Jesus. We are into renting him because we have signed a lease agreement with him we go to church we might read our bible from time to time we set up rules and regulations we check a list of behaviors off and we said look Jesus I gave you this that's what Nicodemus is being challenged with and Jesus is coming and saying but have you been reborn have you been changed from the inside out If you show up on a Sunday but nothing changes about your Monday, what has really happened? What is different? Are we born again and from a source, not of ourselves? So a friend of mine, you guys all know, that has a lot of rental property here in this area, told me about one of his rental houses. This happened recently. They just installed a brand new refrigerator at the place. It was working great. It was brand new. Should work awesome. Awesome. Well, he got a call saying that the refrigerator wasn't working well, and so he went to check it out. The owner shows up at the rental property with the renter there, and they noticed the problem very quickly. There's a bullet hole. Somebody has shot a bullet right through the refrigerator, and so the air, the cool air is leaking out. It's just like if you leave a crack in your freezer, it's going to freeze up, right? And to fix it, the renter decided, well, let's just put a little tape over the bullet hole. Let's just put a little tape over the bullet hole. See, renters not only play it set, a safe, but they're bound by a lease. They think that just putting a little tape over a bullet hole will fix everything that's wrong with them because they're still standing halfway in the shadows. We take a peek at Jesus. We hire him out like an Uber to get us to a destination. We call on him when we're desperate. But then when something comes up that we want to do He doesn't own us. We set him on the couch and we go do what we want. That's renting Jesus. And we're bound by at least because we say, well, look, God, at least I went. At least I did. At least I checked a box. And just like that refrigerator, we are leaky people. You ever wonder why your religion gets dry? You ever wonder why you go through peaks and valleys of faith? It's because humans are leaky people. We get filled up and we have a great experience with God and we got bullet holes all in us and we try to tape them up, right? And we're leaking out the spirit. Often because what we're doing is we're just saying, well, I went to church today, another piece of tape. And we're renting Jesus instead of owning him, instead of being reborn into a new reality. Owners live by this new reality. Lean in with me here. One more thing from the Gospels. The good news of the Gospel is that Jesus, everything in him has changed. So in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus is preaching the Sermon on the Mount to his disciples. Have you ever noticed that those disciples that he preaches to haven't been disciples very long? He does all these miracles in chapter 4 and all these people start to follow him. Some of them have been following him for days, maybe months. Some of them on the Mount when chapter 5 starts, maybe have been there for Hours following Jesus. And he starts this wonderful sermon. And in the verse 13, he gives us this amazing news. And this is where y'all can relax. And he says, you. You people that don't know me that well. Who may be renting me. Again, Jesus loves renters. But he redefines their identity and he says to them, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. I love the message version. He says to us in the message version, let me tell you why you're here. You're here to be salt seasoning that brings out the God flavors of this earth. If you lose your saltiness, you've lost your usefulness. Did you hear that? You are. You're not renters. You're owners of this. These people that know nothing about Jesus. I know we feel like that sometimes. I don't know enough. I'm not good enough. But Jesus says a new reality has come. A whole new way of thinking. To be reborn into Jesus is to be a person who is not sometimes a follower. It is a you are a follower. You are. It's not you are maybe. Or you might be someday. Or if you do everything right, then you'll get past the test. Or if you fill out all this checklist, then you will be. You get into the club. No. Y'all with me on this? This is good news, guys. I should see more smiling and less eye drooping. Right? You are. total identity change. Whole new way of thinking. I'm going to keep saying this over and over. Christianity is not a religion. It is a way of life. It is a movement. And the reason I say it's not a religion, a religion is something you do. Being a follower of Jesus is something you are. It is not an identity among many. It is the identity, the only one. And owners of their faith know that. The church is not something I do. The church is someone I am. You hear me? We should all get shirts that say, welcome to church, and you wear it everywhere you go. (laughs) You may say, well, that's a little over the line. It might be. But to remind us, wherever you go is the church, because it's not you can, you are the salt of the earth when you're in a rectangular building, you are the salt and the light of the world. You are as followers of Jesus. Love that. So here in chapter 3, Nicodemus shows up, but then after this amazing conversation, for the rest of the gospel, he just disappears. We don't know what he decided. We don't know if he stepped out of the, of the dark into the light. We don't know if he went from renter to owner. As, we can t- as far as we can tell, he's absent. John leaves us to wonder about this guy, this elite, knowledgeable Jew who was a part of the Pharisees and a member of the Sanhedrin. He leaves us to wonder, what happened to this guy? And you go through the text, if you've ever read it, and he never shows up, and he never shows up, but then by chapter 19, thankfully, John doesn't keep us guessing. Check this out. Flip over to John 19. We get to see what happens to the guy that Jesus loves, who was renting, who was playing it safe, and who was probably going by a list of rules. But by John 19, something changes. Verse 38 through 40. Later, and here we are at the cross. Jesus has breathed in John his last. He, is, he has said these last words, It is finished. Later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now, Joseph was a disciple of Jesus. and Look at this. But secretly, because he feared the Jewish leaders. He was back in the shadows, right? He was standing away, renting. But with Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. Look at this. Haven't heard from Nicodemus since, since chapter 3. Sixteen chapters have gone by. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. John knows you're going to forget what have happened in John 3 by the time you get to John 19. So he reminds us. And look at what Nicodemus does. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. Taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with the spices and strips of linen this was in accordance with the Jewish burial customs. Oh, this is so good. It's not at night with their head ducked down in the hallways of the school. It's not at night like we do where nobody knows we're a Christian until three years later you've been at work. Somebody says, well, I'm a Christian. You go, I am too. And everybody looks at it and you and go, really? They finally come out of the shadows here. The secret disciple, Joseph, and apparently his partner friend here, Nicodemus, the two members of the Sanhedrin, they go public. This is why owning our identity in Christ, centering our lives on Christ, not renting Jesus but owning him, is so important. It's because renters keep Jesus secret, but owners know that Christianity is a public faith. This happens at the crucifixion. That little detail is so important because the crucifixion was a spectacle. All, it, the scriptures tell us that all of Jerusalem was in an uproar at this place. And out of Jesus' death, after witnessing his death, doesn't walk his disciples that we all know and we know that spent all that time. And a guy like Peter who said, I will never abandon you, out walks two guys who've been in the shadow the whole time, members of the Sanhedrin, two men who say, no more, I'm putting my faith not in the dark, but I'm bringing it out to the light. I don't know who said, let's go first. I don't know if it was Josephus going, let's do this, or if it was Nicodemus saying, let's go. But one of them said, we got to go. And they walk out to the cross, and they get Jesus' body, and they show courage. Courage, guys, is contagious. And when you go all in with Jesus, you can't help but share him, and talk about him, and own him. Is it scary? Of course. Does Nicodemus and Joseph still have have something to lose? You bet they do. Did they have something to fear? Absolutely. The people that they served with on the Sanhedrin had just killed Jesus. Do they have a reason to stay in the shadows? Again, you bet they do. But here's the thing, and this is a I'm stealing this from our friend Mitch Wilburn. Courage doesn't replace fear, courage confronts it. It confronts it. And Nicodemus here goes public. No more hiding in the dark, no more visiting Jesus at night, no more renting Jesus for the weekend. He says, No more. I'm going public. I love that. And in the text, you get this little detail. As Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus walk out, they bring with them seventy-five pounds of spices. I got seventy-five pounds of spices right here. It took me a while to gather up. Oh, that's seventy-five pounds of spices. Get some curls with that. That'd be good. It's a lot. It's an exorbitant amount of spice. Ridiculous! We're told it's, it's myrrh, which was rare, and aloes that are rare. But there's something to this. It's extravagant. Five pounds, church family. Just five pounds was customary. But out of their love and going public, they bring 75 pounds of spices. 75 pounds. This is sugar. I don't have any myrrh, but 75 pounds to pour and to wrap Jesus' body in so that it doesn't decay quickly, so that it has an aroma. Poor people, common people of the time got five pounds. It was an expensive thing to get five pounds. Joseph and Nicodemus go public and say, we're taking 75 pounds, an amount that was so far above. They say, some scholars say, that much myrrh and aloes would have cost in today's dollars $150,000. Incredible. They take it all out. Not just their presence, but all of them. We're told in the historian Josephus' writings that Gamaliel who Paul studied under. He was a famous rabbi in the first century. When he died, the people were so mournful, they wrapped his body in 40 pounds of spices. Jesus gets 75. I was interested in that. I wanted to know, why 75? Because John doesn't use numbers flippantly. He's always got some meaning. And I found that 75 was reserved for one type of person kings 75 pounds was only reserved for kings so Nicodemus is no longer renting he comes out carrying this thing and it is 75 pounds you can come weigh it maybe 76.6 but it is 75 pounds of spices and he goes public because he has realized that Jesus is not just teacher Jesus is not just a miracle worker Jesus isn't just a rabbi. He's not just another revolutionary. He's now Jesus' teacher, Savior, and Lord, his King. So I end with this. When we speak of Jesus as Savior but not our King, in the long run, at the end of our life, what happens is we end up knowing him as neither because he can't be one without the other you can't rent jesus as savior and not let him be lord of your life so what we must do is shift church family from renting to owning and i don't want to leave you this morning just going well okay jake you stepped on my toes but what do i do with that got a little challenge for you boys that have my little handout go start handing those out to everybody if you would Cover the back and, and uh, get up front here. Everybody, that we're going to hand these out. I want you guys to have these. I know it's just a little card. It may not be that meaningful to you, but I want you to remember this. I want to make this practical today. I don't want to end and just go, okay, yeah, we did that, and Jake preached way too long about Nicodemus and all that stuff. I, I know. I want us to shift as a church. I want us to shift from renting our faith into owning our faith. And so we came up with this this little idea called the trio. And some of you are already doing this and much more every week. But imagine what would happen if we started to own our faith in such a way that we said, you know what, every week we're going to begin with Jesus getting three hours of our week. So that's the trio. Just a little challenge for all of us to say, what would happen in Canadian? What would happen in this church family if everybody in here said, I'm going to own my faith? And the practical way any of us can do that is I'm going to give one hour of worship a week to Jesus. We can all do that. You're here this morning. You're like, yeah, you're getting close to an hour and a half. Right? <laughs> uh, one hour of worship. One hour serving the body of Christ. This is the one where it would get sticky. A lot of us don't serve at all. We consume, but we're not consumed. We rent, but we don't own. What would it look like for you to say, you know what, to match my one hour of worship, I'm here every week, I need to serve this body. And guys, there is more opportunities to serve in this body than you could possibly know. A lot more opportunities than there are to just come worship. One hour a week. And then one hour a week studying. You do 10 minutes a day for six days a week, you got that one covered. Easy. What would it look like, though? Some of you are going, that's not a big deal to me. Some of you are going, ooh, that's kind of a big deal to me. But what would it look like for all of us, teens and up? Sixth grade, seventh grade, and up to say, let's do the trio this week. Let's get in the habit of owning the life we say we have in Jesus. Moving out of the shadows from renting and saying, I'm going to serve. And you can say, well, I serve serve Jesus apart from the body of Christ. Okay, great. Start adding the body of Christ to that because that's the way God designed it. And if you don't believe me, we can come study, okay? (laughs) Lovingly study. Let's talk about that. The vehicle for the hope of the world is the body of Christ. So when we serve together, it changes the world. Now, that may mean that you're already serving in some way. What you need to do then is invite people from the body of Christ, right? That's what you need to do. So what's the trio? I want to challenge you this week. One hour of worship, one hour of service, one hour of study. See what would happen. Do you guys think some big things God could really use that? Amen. Three or four of us do. Huh? <laughs> Yay, I love ministry. All right. Guys, this would be earth-shattering for Canadians. If we just gave him one hour a week in service, earth shattering. Because God will use those that say it's time to own. He loves you right where you are, but he doesn't expect you to stay there. So whatever you need today, we're here for you. You wanna own Jesus? This water is full. I almost overflowed it out onto the carpet today. I totally forgot. I thought the drain would take care of it. I got here. The drain was doing its job. It wasn't doing its job good enough. It is full. We drained it down. But if you're ready to get really wet, it's ready. That's owning your faith. When you get baptized, you are saying to Jesus, I am all in, just as he did when he walked through the water to start his ministry. So whatever you need today, if it's just, man, I need help owning, I need to step out of the shadows. Maybe you need to bring a 75-pound bag of baggage that you're carrying that you haven't forgiven or let something go. Let's give it to Jesus. Let's wrap him in it. He can handle it. Amen? Let's stand together and sing.